0: what's going on guys welcome to another episode of the city of champions podcast a proud member of the alberta podcast network powered by atb this week's episode is brought to you by the edmonton community foundation and their show the well-endowed podcast talk about a lot of interesting edmonton related topics and if you're a fan of folk fest in edmonton or pet animals and you'd be heartless if you're not then you'll love this month's episode so go check them out the link is in my show notes My guest this week is somebody that I've considered having on the podcast for a long time now and he's been bugging me for just as long wondering when I'd ask him because I kept telling him that he was just a backup plan in case the worst happened. Uh, But the truth is that filmmaker Adam Scorgi is a perfect fit for the City of Champions lineup. He's the best in the documentary filmmaking business and he got here by consistently being the hardest working guy in the room. His ability to find improbable solutions to impossible situations is why the self-proclaimed creative hustler continues to crush it Uh, now career success aside adam is also one of the best guys that i know he's a dedicated father um, husband uh, actually insanely attentive father especially considering his demanding work schedule uh, I'm fortunate to work with this guy every day and it was an honor to include him on the podcast. He's one of those rare guests who gets on a roll talking, so if you're sick of hearing me, then you're in luck for this episode. Yeah, I'm I'm just going to hit record and we can jump into it. Mm-hmm. But like is it do you feel like you have enough to say that you'd want to do it like every week
1: or every month? I would cuz I'd like to like, I, I love learning from new people. I'm fascinated by them, so... And I like the idea of, you know, just the free, open conversation. Like, that's the thing, is I wouldn't want to get people to try to cater to an audience. I'd want to get people that I was interested in. So as long as that... the It still kept the audience interested, I'd be cool with that, but... So you wouldn't niche? You wouldn't go, like... No. Nah, um, you wouldn't be a
0: film podcast? it wouldn't be, like,
1: producing podcasts? No. Marketing? I, I, I don't like that. I'd want to be just, just... Like, yeah, if this person's interesting and it gave me an excuse to be able to chat with them, awesome. (laughs) Who, Who are your top three people you'd want to have on? Ooh. Top three people i don't know if i could put it i mean <laughs> if we're just a list, like it'd be sweet to sit down with the rock i think he'd be a riot to sit yeah. down with has he
0: done any podcasts that you've heard
1: i haven't heard him i've on never anything. heard him on one yeah no. i think he'd be fucking sweet you watch he'll probably do joe rogan's in the next couple of months now that we put it out there <laughs> <laughs> either. Yeah. but it's on it's on record now so you're the first to talk about it uh, i've also never heard joe on anyone else's podcast. yeah he has he did uh Santa maria's podcast he did uh, Ben Shapiro show. Okay. He did Kevin Smith's podcast. He's done a few. Okay. He's gone back and forth, and I know he's like even when I did the Alberta filmmakers podcast. Matt was like, man, I'm always like nervous when you come on because you've done like the biggest podcast in the world. I'm like, <laughs> dude, it doesn't matter which one you're on, like whether you're on this one or the other. It's the same thing. Like I like to talk. So don't worry. Don't even think about that. I was like, but I'm flattered that you even think about that when I come on the
0: show. So the first time you were on Joe's, it was 2012. And that was after
1: uh, the Culture High shooting with him, right? No, it was before the culture. It was after the union. After the union. Whatever, yeah, after the union. He was just starting it because it was in like the first... I think it was like 144, episode yeah. 144 or something. And now he's at like
0: 1300. Or yeah, like and he's
1: doing the MMA shows and everything. It was very early and kind of like right when his podcast... like. I'd say it, w- it was still mainstream but it hadn't like it, it you know it's an iconic like Larry King live now mm-hmm. right but it wasn't there yet but like Brett and I had all listened from number one where he just recorded on a laptop and they had like snowflakes and stuff with him and Ray. Basically
0: Dad, what and... we're doing right. Yeah yeah right now. <laughs> he did it
1: so we. So I got, think... like the trajectory of that. Then. Yeah well but I was driving to and from Kelowna to Vancouver because I worked for network entertainment on the time so like if I didn't have two pod- podcasts downloaded like the drive was miserable because mm-hmm. the radio didn't work and he get sick of music so right. that was like i didn't miss i don't think i missed a episode up until like 300 you or, were on them early yeah 144 no but i mean you were on podcasts as a thing early. oh yeah no the only people when joe first started like there was adam carolla mm-hmm. who joe credits as one of the. there's mark Marin, mm-hmm. and i'm sure there was others but it was only those that i knew oh and kevin smith had had his schmodcast, and joe those are really the only four that like i knew there was others but mm-hmm. As much as Joe doesn't want to take credit for it, and as much as maybe... Like, I swear he's the guy that made podcasts. Like, now everybody has a podcast. Well, because even Joe would say he'd have all of his friends on who all their careers now, they even call it... Like, he's almost got, like, the male version of the... Yeah, like the Oprah effect, right? Like, Duncan Trussell, Joey Diaz, Eddie Bravo. All these guys have their own shows now, and they're all really successful too, right? And those are all his good friends that he would just have on all the time, and they would just talk about banging chicks and getting high and whatever else and comedy and now like they're all then not he gets that, political pardon but then he gets like political then, and he gets like philosophical super intelligent in the way he like I was I was realizing the other day as much as I've like wanted to do a podcast and I, I still think it'd be fun and I'd like to do it but I realized Joe always calls himself a dummy, but how intellectual he is and how he challenges the way of thought and even if he totally agrees with someone on there, he doesn't just go, Yeah, 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 I agree. He's like, no, but what about people that are opposed to this? And right. who are they and what is their op like he is so good at like he under I'm I mean, I'm sure he's trying to be humble, but he's a super intelligent guy mm-hmm. that tries to at times dumb himself down that he's yeah. just an ape-like dummy that right. lifts weights and does comedy but he is super smart and to me personally I don't think there's anybody that does a podcast better I, I, I don't find as engaged like I'm sure because I know you listen too there's times after his podcast like I am moved and I'm like okay I'm going to be a better person after <laughs> listening to yeah 100%, 100%. I, he'll have a guest on and the two of them will blow your mind where you're like fuck I can be better yeah and that is special and I'm not saying that's happened once or twice that's happened from like a hundred different podcasts that he's done well the measurable impact
0: is huge and I think um, it, the most recent one that I can kind of point to is he had Peter Schiff on the guy we were listening to on the drive back from Calgary I just start re listening to that one so he talks about how the after the first time he was on with Joe he was talking about gold money his company right I just <laughs> listened to that part where yeah. you can essentially for those people listening who don't know you can essentially buy into gold and you Use gold as a transactional, but you don't have to own a block of gold in your possession. It's kept in the vaults, um, so it's a way to keep the value of your currency more and 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 have something in more in something in more stable than the dollar, for yeah. example. But he Peter Schiff said that after uh, he was on the Joe Rogan podcast the first time. So many people signed up for gold money yeah. that it crashed their... Yeah, crashed they had to shut share. it down. The regulators the shut them down because <laughs> they're like, what's going on here? And that's unbelievable that one guy sitting and recording on a microphone for three hours can, can impact
1: the Securities Commission. But we talked about that with... Um uh, Bizbang this weekend, where he was saying he's like, dude, I've heard it from fighters and stuff that have gone there. Like, dude, it's the Rogan effect. They're like, I went on there and blew up, <laughs> and now I'm doing my own podcast. And like, like Brendan Schaub, who's on there all the time, mm-hmm. like hilarious. Not taking anything away from any of these people that are on there. They obviously have talent their own, but they get noticed. It's a platform where you can really listen to them and like them. And now Brendan Schaub's like does a fight show on Showtime and is has his own podcast and Fighter and the Kid, which and he's doing stand up comedy and traveling. Right, like it's a it's a cool thing they do i know for me when we did the culture high the second time i was on there and we promoted the culture high like you could see right when our kickstarter campaign was plateauing then we went on joe rogan's podcast and it just skyrocketed to the top right like it was and I know a lot of people listening to the podcast like, man, I never even heard of crowdfunding until you were on Joe Rogan's podcast right. talking about it for the Culture High. Interesting. So it uh, so we got to get you back on there for our next few projects. Yeah, I got well, I'm definitely like Bisbing is going to go on and promote the Bisbing doc. Right. I think you so, and Bisbing on there would be great. No, you can't take away. Like, gotta let BizBing just do his, <laughs> and then I, But I mean, I'd love to. I think Brett needs to come on with me though. If we're gonna do, if Joe's gonna have two guests, it yeah. should be Brett and I because Brett's a huge fan and never been on there. And usually he doesn't like to do media, but he's a huge fan. Joe Rogan, he'd love to be on there. And I think it'd be a great conversation for both like people that l- watch our work and and Joe's audience. I think they'd like it. So how do you explain to people what it is that you do? You meet <laughs> someone out at a party or out at a dinner. And it's like, and what do you do? Well, it's funny because I, I try... Because uh, <laughs> I'm very passionate about what I do. My wife often gets frustrated. She's like, oh, are you talking about your movies and stuff again? <laughs> I'm like, So I like deliberately try not to tell people. I like... Try to be like, oh, I just, you know, I, I'm in film and video, and then, but it, it goes where people are like, oh, really? What do you do? And I'm like, oh, I, As soon as you try and hide it, people dig I, in more. It's like, well, so I know. What's and what's then happening? my wife's like, oh, is you talking about your films and stuff again. I'm like, they keep asking questions. What am I supposed to say? Like, I don't want to talk about it. Like, so I, I will say that I produce, and then I try to usually blow it off. Like, oh, I do documentaries, and you might, like, and most people are like, oh, like the, the great thing is like eight out of 10 people are like, man, that's what I watch most of nowadays is documentaries. Like, yeah. And I'm like, oh, and they're like, what I've seen of yours. And then I start suggesting or what's on Netflix. And that seems to be the thing is if you're on Netflix, you're real, right? If you're not on Netflix, right. it's like, oh, your shit's on Netflix. I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm like this. Is how I always support my kids. I'm a real producer. I So I say that, but it was, it's interesting because the producing conversation has come up recently where Uh, like if you you say what are their talents if you look at the creative team like you have the director right and he writes and he directs and you have the writer the the cinematographer the DOP and he's the camera guy and you're like what does the producer do right and they are equally as value if not more value but at times you're like well what if you were to classify what do they do they're like well they get shit done right like that they're the guy that gets shit done and you're like how's that quantifiable they're like they get shit done it was like you need money they get it right you need to book a shoot they get it organized you need a distribution deal they get it done you need to premiere your film they organize it but I remember after we'd done the union and I was trying to get my next film going and you know trying to learn how to do the business I remember I got like really insecure there for a bit because it like whole bunch of things like life hammered on me at the same time, like my wife and I had our our first child, we had Riley, my daughter, and I was trying to get into this industry and I didn't know how to make it, get it to make money yet. And then I was looking at like, well, what do I bring to the table? I'm like, man, Brett did like everything. He like edited it, shot it and directed it. And I was like, all I did was get money for my family. Like, what did I do? But I realized that accessing money, like now I know how to do it through the Canadian media fund and tax credits and private investors and banks and the whole thing. But that is a value unto itself that often, Creatives, not to say Brett and my team, but other creatives that were we don't understand the value of that bringing the money, as I explain now to people that because people are like, "Well, once a project starts, we do all the work." I'm like, "Yes, after I secured you a three quarters of a million dollar budget, so yes, my work ended, it or it essentially gets easier once we're in production. But that's the hard part. That's the one thing when you go to any film market, whether it's Sundance, Tribeca, AFM, whatever." The one thing every single project is looking for is money. Of course. Whether you're Tarantino level or you're indie guys like us, you're looking for money. So if someone, if you have a producer that can bring that,
0: huge value there's also probably when you're just getting started that sort of little bit feeling of imposter syndrome too right you're like i'm just starting to do this it's like you know deep down that you're like i don't really know what i'm doing but somehow i'm still doing it and and no one else knows it so i mean like how long was it before that went away are you still experiencing that today
1: no, I don't experience that now. You're good. You're sad. I, you I know can it. see you now know, like I, I understand the value and I think that's why, you know, you get to work with me and other teams do why the teams get along so good because something that makes a good team is you you appreciate the value that everybody brings. Mm. But yeah, I mean I really didn't have it until we kicked in the culture high. And then once we did Ice Guardians and The Good Son and Chase like I by then I'd kind of figured it out. Like I, I understood what I brought to the table. My relationships with distributors and my ability to market and then you know I even put creative hustler on my business card because I find a way to get shit done like when there's a no a no to me just means well no no like even when I go to regular jobs people are like this can't happen I'm just like no you're just being lazy something can happen maybe we bend a bit on my side or your side but there's just not ever a no not in my industry and I don't think in most there's not just a no there's like okay maybe not that but we can work this or can we exchange here I give a little bit and you give a little bit and we make it work Mm -hmm. But yeah, after the union, and I was really trying to make it, you know, I borrowed a lot of family money, took a long time to pay it back, didn't understand the business, trying to get, and then trying to get a new one in and being like, well, I can't go back to family because I still owe them and have to pay them off. So I have to learn how to make the business work. And then, unlike a lot of other businesses, but I guess all businesses kind of have this, nobody wants to share information on how to do it. Mm -hmm. So, like, you'd ask, like, I'd ask other documentary filmmakers, like, what was your budget? Like, just so I, like, have a concept of, like, you delivered something great. Like, how did you? And they're like, "Oh, I can't, I can't talk budget. Can't talk budget." Right. And then like, "Well, what was your distribution agreement?" I can't talk that. Can't. I'm like, "What? What? What the fuck?" Like, <laughs> I share all that shit with everybody. So for me, it's so frustrating. Like, why? But some people feel that if you understand the business, you're going to take away from potential projects of them, mm-hmm. which is silly. I found it exactly the opposite. I've helped tons of filmmakers. Ones that I had no business helping that have called me out of the blue. And I found that they end up hiring you. Like, mm-hmm. I just had that with Pyramid where they were asking me how to do fair use in Canada. And they were calling me and calling me and calling me. I'm like, guys, you should just bring me on as an EP. Like, yeah. I don't mind helping you, but you guys are, like, scheduling a call once a week for four weeks in a row. <laughs> I'm on so,
0: retainer like, at this point. Yeah, like, good.
1: just bring me on and I'll walk you through and help you do this. And yeah. they're like, yeah, that's a good idea. And then they did and they brought me onto a great project. And so I find it so much better to help people out there and it will come back versus that hoard everything in so it took me a while to learn how to learn that stuff for the business but now that I learned it I I definitely I'm, I'm I mean I'm sure everybody doubts themselves occasionally but I have a lot of confidence what I do now and I know there's very few in this country anywhere that can do what I do do you think it's the case that there's a lot of
0: producers giving giving the, the gig a bad name people you know hiding their budgets and also um that scarce mentality versus the abundance mentality. I mean, I noticed... That was the first thing I noticed getting into this industry, even working smaller, like little commercial jobs, mm-hmm. um, is... Or corporate gigs. It was like, oh, well, you know, we can't tell you what this person is making, this person... And it just breeds like an environment of distrust. And it's, you know, it it's... One time someone explained to me the job of a producer was to get as big of a budget and have to pay as little for the job as possible. And I was just like, wow, that seems... Profitable, but also like kind of dishonest. I'm like, and, and then also as a new person in the industry, you kind of think it, you know, is that really how it's done? You're almost like you're, you feel like compelled to believe them because why would they lie to you? But
1: well, that was the old way it was done. Mm-hmm. That was definitely the old way. And when you run into those producers now, that are like like I don't even like that conversation ends really quick with me. And they're like, look, we can pad little things and cut this and cut your director. And I'm like, dude dude, dude we are not working together. Because mm-hmm. I do open budgets. And everyone always told me, Don't do that. Right. Right? Don't show people what you're making because yep. of that very reason. Because then if we save money here, we just put that in our pocket. And if we can cut them here and cut the like essentially not paying people what they're worth. I have found in my experience that when I do open budget and I literally say, Hey guys, we've got half a million dollars to make this dock and I want it to keep on the same level as all my other ones. There's now a brand that my company and my team are used and people see my, to where the point where Super Channel has literally said if we're buying a dock, it has to look like the two previous that Scorgy delivered for us, Chasing Evil and Ice Guardians. If right. you're not that quality, we don't even want to hear your pitch. Right. So there's a quality that has, and I go to the team and you've been there where I'm like, look, this is how much we have to pay everyone that's what works right these are all fair rates they're all industry standard and we have some regulations with the cmf that the corporate overhead can't be too high and this and and again that's why producers don't want to show that shit because then they can hide it in other columns and feed themselves that i believe is quickly getting weeded out because Mm -hmm. nowadays with access to information on the internet and like it's tough to play that game with people now where Mm -hmm. people are like well, it's not really worth that. And this, you know, same with even people trying to negotiate camera prices and stuff. You'd always get, you know, when I worked for producers, well, you can rent this camera package for three grand a week and why are we paying this guy, you know, 40 grand for the whole package? It's like, you can, but that doesn't include the data transfer at the end. That doesn't include your cards. That doesn't include your lenses. That includes, and if you want a nickel and dime, then you can get them on set and they start charging that way. I've been on those things where like, oh, we're over eight hours, time yeah. and a half. Oh, we're over ten yeah. hours now, double time. Oh, you wanted me to call, use my cell phone for GPS <laughs> when we're in the states. That's fifty bucks of data. Yeah. And you get like at the end of every shoot, you're getting like ding for eight hundred bucks in extras. Where if you're just like, hey. That's how much we can afford, guys. You can see what everybody's getting paid. No one's getting rich here. We're all doing well and being able to support our families and continue in this business. But we're fair. And you negotiate it up front and it's flat salary. And for docs, it's so, you know, such a great model because if you're, you know, if you're working shoot days, right, like which most the dramatic films or docs go by... If you're booking per day and you need extra stuff for a doc, if you're like, man, we really need this interview, we need this, but you're, you're, you've already spent your days because you've tried to nickel and dime negotiate. Well, if you got a guy in a flat rate, our guys will be like, oh, as long as you pay for the travel, yeah. I'll fly there and get that interview. I'll mm-hmm. go get you. you you paid for my gear. I agreed to the rate from the beginning. So if you need me for 10 days or 30 days, mm-hmm. as long as you work with my schedule for other gigs, mm-hmm. the value you get so much more valuable in the long run. And same with like some of the are kind of, Iconic people were, were getting their life rights to is, you know, for Fure and everybody else, we did 50-50 partnerships with them, right? Rather than trying to be like, no, we're going to own it as the producer and we're not going to show you the budget and we're going to give you these life rights. Well, then, you know, the person, they're not dumb. They've been here from, they've had agents and everything try to do that shit to them since they were, young so they're big okay and then when it comes time to promote it, you're like hey would you mind like sending a tweet or doing this or doing an interview and they're like no pay me 10 grand yeah i did you license my rights i did the doc i gave you what you needed but now you want to promote it whereas if you just if your partner's from the beginning then you get all that right then they they're like hey i'll do look i mean grant's an exception because he's just an amazing guy <laughs> anyway i think you would do it anyway just going with the flow he's just, just a, he's just such a nice guy but yeah. you know i saw it with mancini you know they when they just feel a part of it then they're like I'll do every radio interview and everything you want to do. Yep. Right? Whereas if you nickel and dime I You almost have to feel grateful for the people that came before you that set
0: up such poor expectations that when you come <laughs> in you're and you you're honest and open budget and fifty fifty partnership, they're like oh, this is different? Like, okay, like, <laughs> yeah. is there a catch? And uh, you're like, I can assure you there's no catch. Like, everything is on the table with us. Yeah, I guess if you put it that way, there's a good way to look at, like, I, I was for It's a competitive advantage, right? Yeah. And we're advantage. only as good as, like, the technology and the context of the world that we live in allows us to be, right? Like, yeah. back in the day where no one could get information, it's like, well, people are going to fudge it a little bit. But now that you basically can't get away with that, and people think that, like, we shouldn't rely on society to force us into being good people. But I think, like, at the end of the day, like, civilizations change. What's been acceptable in the past is not acceptable now. There's one point when racism was acceptable. There was one point when, uh, you know, the Greek philosophers had their concubines, and that was acceptable, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you can't just say, oh, so, so, you know, I think, like, society is going to shift. And, uh, you know, I think everything getting out in the open is a purging of... Um, of you know all the crap that we used to do and now now it's like now we're just forced to be good people so all right let's be a good person
1: i i agree i i mean you still have some producers hanging on and i see this more every time i try to experiment in the dramatic world right where there's these greasy fees where people are like oh well i'm just going to connect you to him and then i get a hundred thousand dollar finders fee i'm like what I was like, "You're going to get paid more than me, who's going to work <laughs> my ass off for 18 months, just because you connected me to someone?" I'll pass. I'll, you know what? I can go to IMDb and I can message their agent myself, right? Yep. Like, yep. I don't fucking need you to do that now. The holders of information are becoming less
0: and less valuable. So you've got, to- but
1: you'll still see that, like, you haven't got to me, but you'll still meet some of those producers that feel like, "Well, I'm going to bring you to this, so I'm worth all this." And it's like, dude, if if I'm bringing the creative team, the financing. Like you, you hold no weight over me. Like, go mm-hmm. ahead, let your talent walk. I, at this point, it's an awesome problem for my team and I to have, but. I'm getting pitched so many docs right now that I'm literally having to say, oh my God, that'd be so awesome. But you're going to have to get somebody else to do it because <laughs> my slate is booked for like three years it's where a good problem to it's have. an awesome problem to have. And something I, you know, can only like knock this glass here, but knock on wood and hope continues. But, and I think that goes back to your message that I think it's because not only does my team deliver world-class stuff, but people are like, oh dude, after you work with Adam, you're going to see working with that. You're like, man, Adam's so much more honest and does (laughs) like even Michael that we've been working with he's been like dude I love that you like just show me everything and be like he's like because from a director standpoint a lot of times they just want to know like what's available in archive footage like what do they have Mm -hmm. you know Michael knows that we're using fair use for the for the Bailey project but then like those little cutaways and back things these shootings like hey look like if we don't have any money for b-roll some of those things can sometimes fill in just having our talent walk in and like those little things that can add these little nuances like a lot of the times the creative minds aren't there to make more money like they don't think about the money anyway they Mm -hmm. look at the budget being like oh I only have this much for archive or only have this much for this or only like okay well then I better shoot when I do an interview we better push to see if I can get half hour b-roll with them too right Mm -hmm. to try to a lot of the times it isn't like And that's what the producers don't even realize that it gave them more headaches where like a lot of times the creatives are not looking to be like, well, I should get paid more. They're looking to be like, what do we have to spend? Yeah. So that I can deliver the best fucking picture out there. And I learned that from Pete McCormick when I worked with him. He's like, man, like, I've already negotiated my contract. I don't know why they can't just show me the budget. I would just like to know, like, what do we have for archive? 10 grand, 5 grand, 100 grand? It yeah. Makes a big difference on what you're trying to acquire for footage, exactly. right? Exactly. So well, if you don't have constraints to
0: work within, then you're, you're hampered, you're paralyzed by all the different opportunities, right? You're like, uh, you know, are we, if I tell you to create art, you're like, okay in what medium in what format what length uh, you know what budget but if I'm like no paint me a picture in the $20,000 range then all of a sudden it's like okay I can do that and now it focuses you right I like that you say like everyone (laughs) you always tell me like you're so fucking fortunate to be <laughs> working with <laughs> me like people have had all these shitty experiences I'm not trying to sound good, and like I've heard you're that you're... from other people too yeah. though right yeah. they're like I can't believe you hit the jackpot like in your first like major gig in the industry like working for a producer who is like Adam in which he treats his crew like gold everyone wants to work with him like it's you know it's it's I feel pretty fortunate let's just say that well myself.
1: you earned it man because that's like <laughs> that, that, that I mean first of all you won over my wife which is impossible because usually <laughs> her first impression of everyone is they're a fucking loser so (laughs) the fact you won her over and then you won me over and then dude like even this where i'm trying to keep budget conservative i'm like i might not be able to bring you on these shoots and the director's like you'll add them i think we really need chain on these next shoots no offense (laughs) but he's more dialed in than you i'm like well so much for trying to save some money there well just make that work maybe i won't fucking go good you guys can do it and i can just watch my kids well we gotta make sure lauren doesn't listen to this now (laughs) because you have no excuse to go anymore (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: so why is it that you think um documentary genre is growing so much like you say people are now all of a sudden you used to play it off like oh it's just a documentary but now Mm -hmm. everyone's like eight out of ten movies i watch are dogs
1: A lot of things, I think there's a lot of things way into that is one, digital format has just made documentaries so much more capable of doing. Like, I can't imagine how you used to shoot a doc with film where, you know, like we do two cameras both running for roughly an hour, two hours per interview. So say conservatively three to four hours of footage. Like, if you're using film to do that, that is costing you thousands of dollars for even like the ums and ahs of the odd like just the actual film itself running through the camera Mm -hmm. was super fucking expensive. Right. And loud, distracting. And loud. And docs is one of the things where you gotta capture all this different stuff Mm -hmm. and you throw away fucking like I'd say 80% of it and take the best 60 minutes or 90 minutes. So definitely the digital world has allowed that. And then the digital consuming world has also changed it because not a lot of people Back in the day, if you were going to go to the movie theater and have a theater experience, was willing to be like... I want to go watch a doc, right? right? Like, a lot of people are like, you know, and people can insult the comic book movies as much as they want, but a lot of people are like, I want to see Thanos smash some shit and the Hulk fight him, right? Like, I don't care about the character development that much. I don't care about the overall structure. I want to some, see some really cool visuals. Shit I don't normally see yeah, every day, right? I want to have fun here's the my mind. for two hours, right? There are moments where, you know, I'm not saying some people do want to go to theater and they want to be moved and they want to be inspired and they, fair. But, you know, traditional documentaries didn't get viewed that way and then even when you were getting them when online started and you had to pay for them people were like you know should I watch that or there's a new Antonio Banderas movie that looks really (laughs) dope like you're gonna go to what you know right but now Netflix and online has made it where it just so easy in how Netflix even says Hey you watch these titles You'll probably like these And the suggestions And it's free And you can log in anytime. That has made it where people Are consuming documentaries Way more So much so that it's caused It's own problem Not just in documentaries But all films Where people don't want to pay For them now Because are right. like Well it's going to end up On Netflix So like who cares about Like when is it going to be On Netflix When is it going to be On Netflix When is it going to be On Netflix And you're kind of like never just buy it first because we make money on itunes right and then you have to lie (laughs) like we knew that with ice guardians we got six months to do the transactional yeah and everybody's like when's it gonna be on netflix we're like sorry nothing in the near future if you want to watch it just rent it right and then because it's not contemporary like it's not pressing you don't need to watch it now i'd
0: like to watch it at some point in the future but even with movies in the theaters now you're like well it'll come to netflix eventually
1: yeah so that's where you know that that's where i think Documentaries and you know the style of documentaries now because of the digital format where you 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 can shoot you can make them a lot more fun now, mm-hmm. right? And you can make them more entertaining. Where you know even me as a huge documentary fan, I look at like really really old docs and because they were film and they had to be so like every shot had to be this artistic. Like you know they a lot of times they had a lot of those weird. I'd call them kind of artistic cutaways where they're like long shots of scenery and stuff that really doesn't drive the story but right. they didn't have the B-roll or the money to, to shoot shit so they were mm. like well it's film and we'll just throw this in there and we'll do a voiceover over it right because you, you couldn't just turn the camera on and, and capture everything right like every shot no, had film is burning money as yeah. you go I don't know the exact cost I don't want to say a quote and get it wrong but film reels were fucking expensive like 10, 20,000 so you burn mm-hmm. through a film reel like you don't have like digital now you just compress the reds and you can you can let it run for fucking hours right so that makes it where you can and then i think also when we got accustomed to online because it was something that brett was really complimented on early on in his career now a lot of people are doing it but quick cuts and quick transitions that was a new age thing with like youtube and like shorter videos and shorter attention spans where Mm. you know a lot of traditional documentary filmmakers would even say the way that we do like the two camera angle and we do the quick cuts You'll, some of them still believe that's not document. They're like, that's not a documentary, right? Like traditional has these long awkward pauses, and you see the things, and like I'm like, well, everything evolves, man. To say that a doc can only be one way is silly. But some of them are actually like I've heard some of the traditionalists are like, your two camera angle and your quick cuts for footage and stuff is that isn't traditional documentary filmmaking, and right? Like, well, no, like anything, it's evolved. Like, yeah. Well, there's some there's some um, really
0: like hard pressed old school guys that think that. Anytime you even interfere or interact in one way or another with the subject that it's not a documentary anymore They're like if they know you're there or if if you interact with them If you break that invisible wall it no longer counts as documentary luckily People like Netflix and all <laughs> all the distributors don't see it that way it's, as it's well, a, right?
1: that's See, and I get what they're trying to say to make it so honest and everything like that, but here's the thing, and Brett teaches this um, when he's spoken at film school and stuff. He's like, the moment you pick up the camera and the angle you're shooting, you already have your interpretation of how you're telling the story, mm-hmm. your take. You, and can you pick the location. Everything, Everything, all that. From the design, the look, who you're going to interview, who you're not going to interview. that So to try to always say like every doc, like, yeah, you try to make every doc as unbiased as possible, right? But you are going to always put your little touch on things. Mm-hmm. It just is the way. So to try to say, oh, this way or that way is completely unbiased in the old school way, bullshit, because as soon as you brought a camera in there, that person's not being brutally honest anyway. Mm-hmm. Unless they're an actor, someone that's super comfortable being on camera, like as soon as you bring in a camera, that person now, you have to interact with them and that's what a great interviewer does is they can actually pull natural. They can get people so engaged that they forget what's going on. Right. And they're engaging with you and they get emotional and you capture that. And you can see them when they come out of it, they're kind of like, whoa, I don't like... Even Grant, we saw him recently on that thing. He's like, man, I didn't even remember everything I said, right? Yeah. Like you go in and you do two hours of interviews and you kind of be like, oh man, I know I had some emotions there and I don't really remember what happened. And then when you see it all come together, you could see his genuine joy of he liked he's like man it was so cool to see it come together and these other people talk about my career so I mean you're you're always gonna I mean that's something you should just prepare for because whatever industry especially the film industry when you put work out there you're gonna get criticism and it used to bug me a lot more in my early films like when you had and we've been pretty spoiled like I mean Brett's work if you look at what he's directed I don't think he has anything lower on IMDb than a 7.5 and that's kind of the ratings I go by because that's the audience rating and not getting because the critics now seem to be more opposed to just smashing words they'll say something inflammatory just to get the clips and they've, never, the were, they've right? never made anything right? and I truly don't think you should be allowed to be especially like a certified critic on Rotten Tomatoes until you've made anything and people argue well yeah I'm like art is subjective like absolutely but you would have a better understanding of what you're arguing like because sometimes they're like they totally missed the mark here and didn't have this I'm like dude if you had actually made a production mm-hmm. and knew what it's like dealing with a studio and dealing with like let's say Marvel and you have to deal with comic book originality but then certain rights are sold to Sony so you can't use those characters and you have to make everything match and then you still got to make the characters connect and everybody's like oh I didn't like like man good luck on trying to make that I couldn't even imagine I tried to just make a a documentary of this it's like we, we, we just go do our thing with the talent make sure they're happy like so many people would have a better understanding if they'd even made a fucking short. Mm-hmm. But they haven't made anything, and yet they don't contribute anything to the industry. They only slag other people's work. Right. That's why right. I have a big thing against critics. I think they're lazy. And, and to be able to detour people from going to see your work, because some people may respect your opinion, when you've never created anything to have an opinion that mm-hmm. anybody should even care about, is a big. If you look at Siskel and Ebert and the original critics, they were filmmakers. Right. They had done stuff. So that's why when they critique something they were making a valid opinion. But now it's like, oh, if you've got a following and you were a... How did the shift happen though? How did it go from real filmmakers to now all of a sudden they're... Just online followings. Yeah. Right? People you're... you you're And I say this in air quotes for people who can't see, like a journalist for right. whatever online magazine where... Right. You know, are you a real journalist? Did you actually, like, get 10 fact checks from other people outsourcing your work and make sure that the, the professionals you interviewed, that, no, probably not. Mm-hmm. There's very few that are very doing that. To, I mean, you're hearing this, everything from the highest, most reputable, from Time Magazine to New York Times. Like, they're all getting ripped apart these days because no one's actually getting, investigating journalism to back check. So you had people that worked on these online platforms, vlogs, podcasts, and now they're going to go and rip other people's work just because they didn't like it. I always think about this, like, I personally, even if I've watched a movie or seen something, a piece of art that I didn't like, I'm so fucking busy that I would never have time to go online yeah. and talk shit about it, right? Like, even if I despise and thought they like, and I, I'm always wondering these people, I'm like, Dude, how miserable is your life? It's called a troll for a reason. That you got, but the, and then you give those people a job where all they do is go shit. And you go look at most of their stuff. And I've looked at some of these, like the few critics that have bashed us. And I'll go look. And I look at the other movies and I'm like, really? Like you gave this one like a wicked <laughs> review and this one not? And, it, you know, just because you don't like something or it doesn't connect with you. And we've done, you know... Um, you know, with marijuana and fighting and hockey we've done things that really drive people to want to either love it or hate it right, right? And, you know, and somehow manage to get people on both sides of it to to give a sort of nod of approval to the project yeah so that's and then you But it, it, I used to get so caught up in those and now just like I purely just don't engage negatively. I was
0: going to say it wasn't a little hypocritical to say you don't have the time to go blast something but when you get blasted you go no, and you go was, down the rabbit hole exactly and it's out. so
1: stupid that I would even debate with them right and yeah. I'm like who is is this fucking it's the ego right like it it's like it's all just something I you did you see how hard the team worked as a team right and like you know say for Ice Guardians we got very few bad reviews but the one or two that we got but I'm like dude what was your problem with it Oh, they just thought that we glorified the fighting. That these guys were stupid animals and didn't belong there. And I'm like, dude, if you do actually... not listen to a single word, no, that but that's what makes you wonder. It's like, yeah. okay, it's not even. It's like you turned it off after ten minutes and didn't really listen. That, right. but you can't argue these things to people because they've already. It's. They like said I've literally Ice Guardians was the last time like for chasing evil or whatever. I like, I'm done now. If you show negativity, I have no yeah. time to waste on you. Yeah. Positivity, I'll make sure I respond to almost every interaction. Yeah. But when you're negative, I'm just like, dude, you're just probably a negative person. Like you're gonna hate. Everything that comes your way and I can't but I admit it's it's tough. I'm I'm trying to say it as to young filmmakers, whether you get rejected from a film festival or you get these nail- like don't don't do what I did, because I did. And I used to argue people online and there's never ever I would beg to differ if anyone can prove me wrong in the history since digital media has come around <laughs> that you argue someone, they're like, Man, you actually make a great point. This is a bold you've statement. changed my you've changed my <laughs> hey, I would love, I hope it's happened. And please, if anyone has you know like a photo reference that they can show that this has happened I'd love to see it but I personally and I read other arguments even when people blast facts on there like bang 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 yeah people just be like no you don't get it because of the, like it doesn't matter how much facts you bring into it people have their emotional standpoints and yeah. they're not going to move tied to the idea of what it is that they're arguing And about when and you're, and you're not, not in a, away with it. and when you're not in a long form conversation like this where you can rationally talk it out over a long form versus just little spits on the internet mm-hmm. with little links to information mm-hmm. I have yet to ever see somebody be like oh my god Shane you brought up such a great point you've changed my whole perspective I knew this with new light right like Hey, maybe it's happened. I have never witnessed it, me personally. So there's no point in getting engaging in those arguments anyway, unless you're bored and you're just looking to stir some shit. Looking to have fun and get no. some yeah. great screenshots. Yeah, and, and just, so I just think it's pissed. fun. Yeah, I <laughs> just think it's fun. If you can do that, I have a tough time doing that. There's been a few times where I've been able to do that, but <laughs> um, but again, I don't engage. So like between the kids and what we're working on now, like I don't, I don't have time to fuck around with that shit. Do you, do you, th- <laughs> do you think people's
0: um, appetite has gotten more intellectual in terms of the content that they consume and why?
1: Dude, I would definitely think so. I couldn't put my finger on exactly why, but... I go back to like when I look at like I loved 80s action movies so for those that listen I think they're like I love the old predator yeah you know when him and they go shake they're like you know Bennett and they go shake hands like what the CIA got you pushing too many pencils and this is just a total <laughs> bicep shot right of just two super masculine dudes and it was easy it was like they go in to get the bad guys alien comes and they all have to fight the alien right, right? it was very simple or like German Nazis are bad mm-hmm. and Americans are the heroes and it's a simple war conflict I definitely like even when I watched Avengers, I thought how they made Thanos. Like old comic book movies would have just been intergalactic bad guy wants yeah. to destroy half the world. Don't even explain his rational. Yeah, exactly. and that one they actually explained like where he's like, no, look, the the universe is a finite resource. I want to like they try it, to politicize his. his they try to get right? you to understand wh- why this tyrant was trying to do what he did. And, like I definitely think there's. I think probably. If I'm gonna just take a like a, a guess of why, I think probably people are are more socially aware, politically, and what's going on globally because of access to information on the internet. Like even if you're just skimming articles, you have much more, glo- like I mean. Especially when I was younger I mean I didn't know anything That was on like The regular news And Mm -hmm. maybe what happened At my school Right Right. Like the world Was very small
0: Especially being In a smaller town
1: Yeah Like even when I lived Overseas and stuff though Like I'm I'm trying to think I was young When I lived in Singapore And Australia But I mean shit If it didn't happen At my school Or in my neighborhood Or maybe I tuned into The news while my parents Were there Like Mm -hmm. I didn't know What was going on Right so nowadays, like you literally carry this information Bible on your hip. It's almost attached to you that like you can't escape it now with like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram of what's going on. So I think people are just smarter on a global perspective when they look at things. And I, I definitely think that's why I think it's it's a real problem looking objectively me trying to get into the dramatic world of why a dramatic feature is really fucking tough now because you have to make this story is so compelling in 120 pages or less. And docs are a bit easier because you're you're talking about a real life subject matter and you kinda of cover and you make interesting people and but when you're doing a dramatic film. To get people to buy into a fictional world they don't agree to, that 120 pages has to be just amazing, amazing. Yeah. And then the delivery of it has to be amazing now too, because the you know the digital realm, like cameras and stuff, are so much more cost effective. So you have these young guys that can, and girls that can go shoot amazing shit and color it, and like you know from a production standpoint, you can see some of these indie films where the story's not there, maybe the acting's a little off, but you'll watch the cinematography and the real, you're like, holy shit, this yeah. looks like a 10 million dollar movie. So dramatic features now because we're a bit smarter and stuff like i found when i watch these indies and stuff now even big films now it's like these characters have to be so engaging and you know the script has to be so smart and so smooth otherwise you're going to lose people they're not going to be the audience is smarter now and they're hip to. we've all been hoodwinked recently in the last five to ten years we are like oh this got so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and directed by so-and-so produced this is gonna be awesome and then you get 10 minutes in you're like how did this ever get funding? Right, like, This movie is dog shit. How did they, they must have just had money and got these. So I think in the dramatic world, that's why you're seeing Netflix and all these big, even all the other networks going to series, because now you can really detail a character, and that character can have huge changes through. I mean, I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but I mean. Oh, yeah. Characters in Game of Thrones go for like one season. You're like, I want to see this motherfucker get killed, right. and then the next season, you're like, oh, that's like, like my favorite character now. I don't mm-hmm. want, like they change like this. We're in a movie; you don't have that much time. You mm-hmm. got ninety minutes, man, and your character, like the old, you know, the little bit I know about storytelling, is that your main character cannot be the same person he was at the beginning, he or she, in mm-hmm. the beginning of the film or the end of the film. That's really tough. And the other characters that are around that, every action that happens is a result. That's tough. That's tough to get in 90 pages. Well, I don't don't know if it's
0: necessarily access to information that's making us smarter because despite all, you know, all the information, it seems like a lot of people are just as dumb as ever. I think, and the reason why a documentary in my mind would succeed is because you're not talking about an event or something like, um, you know, something, a concurrent event. It's, it's, you're talking about um a story a sort of narrative or you know an ideology behind someone's life it's it's more of an overarching template of a story versus like oh this happened in syria and this happened in uganda and trump said this like it's you're learning about the human condition and i don't think access for to access to information can can provide that but i don't think like even just the headline reading too right you can you can Come under such false pretenses if yeah. you just read headlines, and no, especially with well, clickbaity headlines
1: that make you think one thing, but the article actually says something different. Right? Well, I think I think what Docs Connect is that they, you know like what we try to do even when we're doing a sports doc or a daredevil like Robbie Knievel's you connect on the human level Mm -hmm. right where everyone and that's what you're trying to do with the dramatic film too but a lot of times you're in worlds that people just don't understand and that's again where you have to nail that character because Mm -hmm. if you don't and people are like ah I don't get it this is a character in a weird place that I just don't relate to they have no connection but Mm -hmm. in a doc you know, especially if you're doing a biopic or something like that, you've got first, depending on who it is, you've got a built-in audience for who already likes that person. Right. There's then context you, for Then you've story. got people that just like documentaries. Like, well, you know, I don't know much about so-and-so, but the trailer looks cool and I'll mm-hmm. dive in. And then if you're really engaging and do well, then the interviews and the way you tell the story, you don't have to be into that particular sport or that person to be fascinated. So I… I definitely think there's a pull for that for docs, but you, and you know, but there's still a lot of the um, like kind of call to arm docs which don't really have the human. I, I mean, you usually try to put a human connection, in like there. Um, like uh, Al Gore's doc, yeah, like an inconvenient truth, yeah. or like a diet doc, or you know, drug. Like, because look, our two first, my two first docs were like drug war docs, right? Mm-hmm. And but Brett, I, you know, I heard this actually not to go back to Joe Rogan's podcast, but he had Howard Bloom on there. And Howard Bloom talked about one of Einstein's quotes that really hit me that thing. We said, Einstein said, figuring out complex equations or or problems to life is only a small part of the battle. Being able to explain those in common terms that everybody can do to actually change the world is the real value. And that's something that I remember when the union first came out, a lot of like, you know, two-decade-long or, like, lifetime activists were really frustrated with the movie because they're like, I already knew everything in there. Like, why is this film getting such critical acclaim? And I was like, yes, but you have been studying and arguing this for two decades. You yeah. should. I was like, Brett put it in such a way where even if you had no skin in the marijuana argument or the drug war argument or whatever, that you were like, man, I never thought about it in that yeah. way. Like, he put it in a very clever, you know, often funny at times, but simplistic way that you're like, I never looked at how the corruption of law enforcement goes away in a very... And that's something that, you know, Brett, in all of his docs, he puts things in a way that is very simplistic, that if you're not into hockey, that you can understand where the enforcer and fighting culture came from, that if you're not understanding the drug war, that you can have no idea of marijuana, the drug war, and you go into this, and you're like, man, I never looked at it that way. I never understood it that way. Mm -hmm. Where... I'd say that's something that's... And like any director, that should be their thing with the doc is helping you to relate, whether it's a biopic or a subject matter, in a way that is entertaining Mm because it still is entertaining. Mm -hmm. And that's why often people... I know when we did the culture, people were like, why is... Joe Rogan and Snoop Dogg and Wiz Khalifa in this thing I was like yes I was like and if you add them all up well mind you Joe was in it quite a bit but Snoop was in it for under a minute 30 right? right? and Wiz was small clips it's because their entertainment factor and their names on the title will get people to tune in simply because they're involved Yeah, and then the Professionals, all the doctors, ex-law enforcement, all of them are the people that are going to really educate you, mm-hmm. because a doc is still supposed to be entertainment. Got right? The steak and the sizzle, right? So it's got to yeah, like, it's it's got to be funny, and that was I remember. I think when we did the union. it's interesting I'd love to talk to Joe about this but like I don't think a majority of his audience had seen him that way most people at that time knew Joe from Fear Factor yeah by and large Fear Factor and then UFC yeah right for UFC fans but UFC was still very niche at the time like Mm -hmm. when I go down to the US and be like dude you guys know like Ken Shamrock and everything they'd be like what like you just don't watch UFC they're like what's that and I'm like get out of here in Canada, it was really popular. I think is the fighting culture in hockey, like when it released right. here and the things, it was it was already, like, we were tuned. I remember from the time I was 15, I'd have my dad drive me to Silver Screen Videos and see if there's, like, oh, there's UFC 4 is out, amazing, <laughs> right? And we'd rent it. But um, I can't remember where I was going with that, but... You were talking
0: about um, how... Oh, you were talking about no one had seen Joe in the light. Uh, oh, yeah, who- Joe in
1: that way. And you knew him from UFC. You knew him from that. So when you saw him on a pot dock... And he was super funny, in the way he would break it down, right? We're like, that's a nerf the world thing too. And we were like, well, you can abuse marijuana. He's like, you can abuse cheeseburgers too. Yeah. Right. We don't go shutting down Burger King just because you can abuse something. He's like, I take a fucking fork and jam my eyeball. Out. Should we outlaw forks? He's like, you know, should we? I can jump off a bridge. Should we outlaw bridges? Let's nerf the world, right? And everyone, I remember we'd go to film festivals and everybody would be howling. They're like, dude, I never knew Fear Factor guy was so funny. And I was like, well, he's a stand-up comedian, right? And that's that, a no real. That right? A lot of people did not know. Yeah. I even. I didn't until we met him that day. I did not know Seriously? a stand-up comedian. I did not. You're like, fuck, we hit the jackpot oh, with this d- guy. D- d- The best, best fluke ever that we <laughs> could have got because I couldn't picture the union or the culture high without him. Right. And then just how much Joe has helped. I mean, never asked for money mm-hmm. for each of the one of them. And then for the culture high, he actually helped promote it on his podcast. He had me back on. I have nothing but amazing things to say about him I mean he could have easily been a snob and not done either interview he did Mm -hmm. them both for free and like I truly couldn't picture the union without him in it or the culture eye
0: so we've got a more educated audience now, or an audience that's getting shown more about the human condition and, right. and their relationship to either a figure or a concept. Now, are people following um, documentary directors or producers like they would follow a Tarantino or a Nolan? Are they Is that loyalty slowly developing where someone goes, man, I saw Brad Harvey's like last couple docs, I'm definitely going to see his next few, you
1: know? I think they definitely should. Yeah. I hope people are following Brett and My's work like that. And then there's a few. I get a few tweets and stuff like that. There's a message today pretty cool from a guy. Uh, I think he's out of Kelowna, Daniel LeClaire. He like, dude, I've watched all your stuff. Like, congrats. Keep doing what you love. Like, mm-hmm. But um, I think it's falling... I don't know I know when I go to Sundance like Alex Gibney who's an Oscar like you know and did Taxi to the Dark Side and Enron smartest people in the room like mm-hmm. when you try to get into one of his premieres like they just laugh at you I'm like Oh, I want tickets like because we were we were in Sundance a couple of years when um, going Clear the sci- the Scientology doc was coming out okay I haven't seen that one and they laughed at me like being like I was like oh any of the screenings and they're like no they're all sold out and I'm like oh okay Like, <laughs> I wanted to see like Alex Gibney's, a like you know a director I look up to yeah. and I wanted to see his work and you know they, a different beast eh? Hey? like yeah it's tough to get into anything but I think there's following I think it's I think with all of them they're kind of fading I definitely think like Michael Moore's fallen I, I would like to see him do a doc where he's not a character in it right because he I mean the he's sensation. the guy that started it all if yeah. you're talking like he's the guy that made docs mainstream people mm-hmm. could argue that like Bowling for Columbine no, Roger and me even before that was that right? before? Was, yeah, was before okay. but I mean Bowling for Columbine I was mean, the I one remember. no but dude that was the one I remember that was the one that got everyone and, yeah. and then you had super I watched that in high school yeah I remember. you know. and then you had Super Size Me come out yep. and then you had and that's when to me that's when I kind of remember docs got super mainstream and they were getting released in theaters and they were doing big money and then mm-hmm. and then of course you had Fahrenheit 9-11 which like I, I think that did 200 million or something really I mean, shattered doc <sighs> records yeah it did insane numbers mm-hmm. um, it had big backing and promotion and everything and and, but i'd love to see because like definitely if you if you were to ask nine out of ten people of a documentary like director Mm -hmm. they would say michael moore i don't think many people could say like warzog or is that how you pronounce him on like i I know he's a big popular one that did um like grizzly man and stuff like that warner herzog and alex gibney and like there's uh, morgan spurlock like there i know them because i'm in the industry but um i think if you were to ask this common people i think everyone would be like michael moore michael moore michael moore yeah right? yeah that's who they would know and i'd love to see him just do one and don't be a character in it anymore but mm-hmm. i know probably the way that their funding works like knowing see knowing from the producing yeah side, he's like a star in a dramatic i know right? what he's probably like, getting is probably like you know studios are kind of like we love your idea but we want you in it yeah. right because like do? people Cause know you you're a draw you have a big social media it's funny because
0: that's like. You know the the classics would say that's the complete opposite of what a documentary is supposed to be. Yeah, you know, like having a
1: host and stuff yeah. like that, and that's where. But I mean, he added that humor and everything that you'd never yeah, seen yeah. before, and so you know, he. he I mean, he definitely def- definitely revolutionized docs, and I you know I look up to him as one of the icons of it. But I'd like to see him just do a doc on a subject matter he likes, and him not be a character in it. I'd right. like to see how that. Turns Have you ever out. reached out to him? Have you ever met him? I've never met him. No, um, I
0: actually it can't be that hard to get to. No one's hard to get to anymore. I don't know. We're Like we're getting.
1: <laughs> but but the weird thing is, man, I don't know. With when it comes to other documentary filmmakers, like I know I reached out to Alex Gibney a few times to try to meet, and I don't know if he ever got my email or not, but never seemed interested. Maybe and, it's a competitive thing. Maybe they're so closed
0: know. book, they don't want to share anything.
1: But, but I'm opposite. Like you know. Know me, I'm backwards. <laughs> like I would show them, like, but they would, because actually Alex Gibney did an Enforcer doc about Chris Nyland, and I remember mm-hmm. before I got financing for Ice Guardians, I reached out. and I'm like, look, I know a lot about the subject matter, and who knows, like it, it I just sent it to his company so I right. like, doubt he got it but I saw him I've seen him at Sundance a few times and I was like tempted to go up and talk to him and stuff but I was like yeah I don't know if he'd get worded out some people like <laughs> maybe he's salty yeah maybe I don't think <laughs> I, I don't think he knows who I
0: am but uh, uh, yeah. well, that's good then you can come in under the radar still with the with the next couple of ones yeah I don't know if I'm on any of their radars yet I mean I'm, I don't think so. It's a good spot to be. Yeah. And then people go, how the fuck did you get all these docs? <laughs> yeah. How did you lock in these guys' life rights?
1: Uh, I don't. And it's funny because that's also, I, I tell other filmmakers, you know, to not get down on themselves. We're like, the major festivals, I've never got into any of them either. Mm-hmm. Never got into TIFF, officially, premiered there. But <laughs> 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 premiered during TIFF. <laughs> uh, I've uh, never been in Tribeca, you know, Berlin, mm-hmm. Cannes. Uh, South by Southwest or something. Didn't
0: you go somewhere in Europe? You went to Munich, didn't you?
1: A uh, Warsaw, Warsaw. So the culture I premiered in Warsaw, we yeah. were up for the best documentary there, and Brett went out there and said it was awesome. I actually yeah. submitted making Coco to Warsaw, yeah. just as an yeah. alumni. Maybe I don't know how big Legacy. hockey is in Poland, but uh, we'll see. It's supposed to be a cool spot and be cool. If for it traveling. were still owned by the USSR, it'd be a little bigger, right? Uh, <laughs> a little there, yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean that's a, and it's tough because I know even to this day it sucks every time you get rejected. Like, you hope, like, this is the one that'll get into in and then mm-hmm. you don't. And it, it, it makes you be like, ah, oh, should we edit the film differently? Or, like, it? No, there's but so many yeah, things going into your... There's, yeah, and, like, it's so
0: timing, too, right? Like, different, like, you could have a year with all these heavy hitters and, and that might be the year that you applied and didn't get in. And then you might have, you know, any one of the next four years had you submitted it for that year and you might have gotten in, right? Yeah,
1: yeah it's a, it's, a it, it's something not to dwell on. I know when we first did the union like, because we would have done it differently but I mean we were learning where we we submitted to Sundance like I, it, I think it's such a pipe dream that we even <laughs> like we prepared first film. <laughs> we, we, we submitted it and we had like you know black chunks for like 10 minutes of just like voiceover because we we're still working on footage and we didn't know about fair use then and we had to spend all this money licensing footage mm-hmm. and it was killing us and we went like three times over budget and we got this rough cut to Sundance and Fingers crossed. We thought I had a real... Of course, like, we are looking up online of, like, oh, you actually get to have, like, a breakfast with Robert Redford and be like, oh, man, this would be so cool. And yeah we, I think of course we didn't get in did they in. even get back to you or did oh they yeah just they <laughs> have to send you and you, you just get the generic unfortunately you weren't picked for this year did our, did our invitation get lost in the mail guys and then like. we and then we submitted to Tribeca and we didn't get in and then we started being like you start we started thinking like holy shit like maybe our film's not good and mm-hmm. you start looking at it and you start being like maybe we should re-edit it and should do some different things and and then finally I remember we got into the Winnipeg International Film Festival which isn't even around anymore it was a tiny festival but they're like you're in and we were just like we'll take it like but had we had known before like we would have done something in our hometown or something yeah. first we did those ones later mm-hmm. but we would have done something in our hometown first because we had the audience to bring ourselves and you know but you're you're learning we, I mean we did win Winnipeg too we got best documentary so it was great I'm not complaining about it, but like it was disappointing when we go for our first screening. Of course, okay. expectations are set too high. Oh, right? and all my like friends and family, like twelve of us flew in, and there was like twenty of us in the theater, right? Like, <laughs> so it was like that's the part that was disappointing. Yeah. Nothing else at the festival did, but it's hard for festivals to get audiences. It's tough, right? They, mm-hmm. unless you're the big ones that everybody knows and the tickets are sold out in advance to buyers and everything, but right. it's tough. So it's uh, it. Uh, I remember like having knowing now and kind of the way we're doing like making cocoa, you see it's a much different strategy than Mm -hmm. we do we're like you know we're releasing in Toronto with or without TIFF officially right like where because all the buyers are already there and it's a hockey market that we know that we can make it a special Mm -hmm. regardless of if you're in the festival or not the atmosphere itself would yeah. feel like an amazing red carpet gala well and you use whatever competitive advantage you have and in our case that's grant
0: that's the history of the cops all his friends like you know the hall of fame Ooh.
1: being there he played for the leafs his Leafs alumni mm-hmm. all the broadcasters for tsn and rogers and everybody they're all there it's the mecca of canada's like film industry it's kind of like a no-brainer
0: so what what is it that first drew you into film like what you know why did you want to go down this pathway uh, I don't think I've ever asked you that. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you is if there's anything we disagree on, because you were talking about earlier that the long format conversation is the only way to really solve debates. And I'm tr- I don't I think, think that, it solves it. Well, not. No, I it's think it's be- the most plausible way in order to make someone else or help up someone else see your point of view, yeah, right? Yeah. And I'm tr- I was also while you're saying that thinking like, is there anything that we seriously disagree on that we might be able to talk about here?
1: I'll see your film one first Keep that one in mind, though. So <laughs> the film one's interesting. I I think you know because i went to new york to be an actor and to get into that industry and i realized i wanted to get in the film industry and as when you're young I thought you went to new york to be a caterer <laughs> <laughs> well that's what i that's what i was really good at for a while uh, shirtless pantsless mosquitoes on i was good at all of them but uh little hors d'oeuvres yeah uh, um no i i but you know small-town canadian boy you knew you wanted to get into it. It was long before the internet, and you could just Google, like, how do you do it in film school? Like, I didn't even know about film school and shit. I'd always heard to get in the film industry, it was like, you had to be the right place at the right time, and somebody sees you, right? Like, which then, place
0: is that? Yeah, and, and like, I'm going to try bus- to go.
1: That, see, but that's how my mind. I don't know if it came from me having two great dads in my life, both my stepdad and my biological father, that always encouraged dreams and always encouraged that you could do whatever you wanted to do that was always my thought is that I was like well how do I put myself Mm -hmm. in the right place at the right time and how do I put myself there several times in case the first four or five times don't work like I never believed and I found that that's actually a skill or like an asset that I have is that that's just the way that my mind works be like Oh, well, I get shut down there. I just go to the next one. Then I go to the next one. And then, like, if it was the same guy that you're trying to meet, I'm like, okay, what is his walking path in New York? I'll go to where he buys a fucking hot dog. I'll go to where he gets a <laughs> coffee. I'll go to, like... And then if I have to, I will bump into him, right, and make mm-hmm. him talk to me. Um, so you get a restraining order. Yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> and then you get a friend to look for. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever it yeah. takes. Exactly. Get in the way. But I... So, originally, I mean, it, I, I got into, like, fitness modeling as a way, always from the beginning, I... I got cards from Men's Health and Abercrombie to, you know, do some possible shoots with them. And I, I always wanted it as like, oh, I'm going to use that to give me some confidence mm-hmm. to like learn how to do the other stuff. Which makes sense. You slowly build up what you're capable of. Yeah, because right? I knew like, okay, i trained like a madman and ate super healthy and didn't party. And it was kind of boring. I wish I actually would have done a little more partying. <laughs> you know. Um but I, I, I like where you know anytime I went to the beach everyone thought I was on steroids like holy fuck like I got shredded, shred it right and then you know finally a few people were like dude you should look at like doing making money off of that like instead of just working out and then I went to like my first model search and yeah like the first table I went to is men's health and they're like come to New York we'll do a test shoot and then like yeah. Abercrombie is the second one they're like come to New York you should talk to Lions group so I got with a modeling agent, Mike Lyons, who's still him and his wife, Miriam, good friends with, went up and think like my first test week, I, I did, I was an extra on a soap opera. I was on hold for Abercrombie. So the, the agent was like, Adam, if you want to come back, like, and then the test for the soap opera, you're just an extra mm-hmm. right in the back. But I'd was cool like my you know i was like fuck i've only been here for four days and things and mike did say "He's like dude i have lots of guys come for a test week and they don't get a call back on anything right. so he's like you have something he's like yeah here's how there's room and board. You come stay up here and after a month of being there i wanted to get into acting school Cause originally I thought I wanted to be in front of the camera. Um, and I still have a love for that. I can still see it. And I'm like, ah, I'd love to script myself in, like, a small role. Like, I haven't worked on my tool in a long time. So, I w- definitely wouldn't be valuable as, like, a major character. But, yeah. like, a one-liner or something in a film, I could definitely... Yeah, and I think you'd be a, a, a fantastic reality star. So <laughs> <I, laughs> well. I would not put myself on a reality. I'm, I'm bringing a camera. We're going yeah. to vlog no, the next I trip. <laughs> it would, would not be reality star. But, um... um yeah, and then I when I came back to Canada when my biological father got ill, um, and like I said, that's when Super Size Me was really popular and, and um, Fahrenheit 911. Nine, and I saw the docs were more popular, and I actually looked at getting into the marijuana industry in BC because right. I came back and all these donkeys I'd went to school with are fucking loaded. And I'm like, what the fuck have they been doing? I've only been gone for three years. Like, I thought my career was going good, like working men's health and doing these things, and they're like, you know, they're like, oh, he's in the union. I'm like, what fucking union? Because it pays guys like, dude, that's just a code word we say for people that grows dope. Right. And I was like, oh. Because right. they had brand new trucks and Harleys and houses. And I'm like, they're only in their mid-20s. Yeah. And this was the start of sort of the affluence of Kelowna? Was yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. I went to high school in Kelowna, but I'd come back and I'd saw and like, and that was the peak of the industry. That was in the uh, late 90s and early 2000s when the US dollar got really high there at like 55 cents. Like it was like, you'd almost get doubled or your money and a half and
0: mm-hmm.
1: and all these guys were doing to making money so i looked at legitimately getting into it like buying a house i'd had some inheritance when my biological father passed away and i was going to buy a house and like still go to film school and stuff in new york and come back every three months and collect a thing and pay off the house really early and mm-hmm. i learned the whole system of how the right. union worked and then i just couldn't i'd never broken the law in that way before i mean i've been in street fights i'd like sped <laughs> i'd done that. I'd done stupid shit as a kid, but never that, where I was like, man, I made serve some serious yeah, time. Yeah, like due time, kind of breaking the law. So I was like, mm, I and my dad passing away, I felt he was like looking down at me and, and I was like, wait, I was like, I'm in the film, why don't I use what I learned in New York? I'm like, why don't I make a documentary about this? And at the time, you had Morgan Spurlock and Michael Moore and these hosts and docs, I'm like, man, I worked in film television. I could be one of those hosts, right? And, and I'm jacked. I'm, I'm way better looking than Michael Moore. <laughs> like, let's be honest, right? So I was like, fuck, we'll do... So I met all these different film crews and had the idea and very unguided direction of what we would do. You'd just be like, man, I, I can get us into grow-ups. I, like, I know how the BC industry is and how this yeah. whole... Thing, how this billion dollar industry functions while illegal mm-hmm. and then I met Brett and Steven and I met out of all the team they were like the most professional their website looked the best they're young guys they were at the perfect time in their career they were looking for something that could get them some good money mm-hmm. to like really get a foothold in the industry and thank God because if I'd gotten with someone more professional we probably never would have delivered and wouldn't have been it was a perfect time there's yeah. a lot of luck in there that happened too but you, right. I guess you, you put be, yourself be in that time yeah. over yeah.
0: and over whether you saw it or not right? yeah
1: and then we we became good friends and went on that four year fucking battle to deliver the union which was just crazy did you work on anything else at that no. time no I was I still had union? my dad's club at the time Right, I right. hadn't even so or got to We're gonna do
0: right. a part two where we talk about you growing up in Kelowna. Yeah, this yeah, is a that, whole different story. Well, yeah,
1: because I had my one of my good friends, like he ripped me off in the partnership there and everything. It went sideways. But in at the end of the day, I left that industry with not having to look over my shoulder, which is great. Mm-hmm. And still have respect from you know the MC in Kelowna and everything. So it's good. And then, you know, just with the rise of documentaries, we thought we'd make this thing. And it it did, I mean for all other thing other than it didn't fully recoup my dad's investment, we're fortunate that we got anything back because most docs, if it's your first film and you spend three hundred fifty grand, you're fucked, right. right? Like, and about marijuana at a time when, well, now everyone's like, oh yeah, it's legal, it's got all these medical benefits. I'm like, not when we were doing yeah, it. it was everybody was saying that that was so bullshit, and there's no medical benefits yeah. that have been found, and and this film became like really, I, uh, uh, i if you look in Canada, I'd say like a global cult classic that had come from three guys in a basement suite where it's been viewed I'd say conservatively three to five million times worldwide it is you know if you go to any if you google top 10 marijuana docs ever made the union and the culture are always in the top five right um you know and that was our first film it got selected to 30 international film festivals won numerous awards got great critical acclaim it really put us on the map but then It's almost like in sports, your sophomore year, getting your second film. The slump. That's the hard one, right? Like, your first one. Especially because at this point, we're still... Money was slowly trickling in from that one to pay back my dad. And I definitely didn't want to go borrow more after I hadn't even paid off the initial loan, right? Right. So, because we'd gone so over budget and Brett and Stephen had put in so much work, like, that was also something. Like, every time, we're like, oh, guys, we need this materials to deliver this platform. Well, that's an extra two to three grand. Shit, well... Brent seemed like well we'll do bulk of the work another and, IOU yeah like another IOU they had like 40 grand of them, and that's where I want to hang out to that one that's a big one well that's where Brett and Steven and I are such good friends now like per, because like Adam we've never worked with another producer like most of them just would said fuck your IOU you're not getting it yeah but I paid back every bit of that extra work that they'd done which right. had put us way over budget and they were cool enough that they still continued to work even though it wasn't there and just logged their hours it took me three and a half years to pay them off but they got paid and then yeah we paid I think of my dad's full like of the 260 we borrowed from him he got back 240 so he was never expecting, right. that took like 6 years yeah. to get back but um, you know he was never expecting to get any of it back but he was like, when when I came with those checks he was always super thankful and that meant a lot to me but then that's where it kind of it started is that we took on this thing and docks kind of followed in and I, I just found a real love for docks and then now being spoiled with such great crews and you know, from our first film accomplishing that mm-hmm. and then following up right after with like the good son col- you know the culture high ice guardians like not to I I haven't done a film of ours that I'm not super proud of that's a great movie like where now it's tough for me to want to go to dramatic film and just get a movie made and mm-hmm. it'd be like a 4 mm-hmm. out of 10 where people are like well it's cool did you make some money well yeah, yeah the movie sucks but it's yeah. like all our docs have been great where i You found you found the niche. And it's a broad niche because you can niche
0: within that niche, right? But but you know, well driven narrative documentaries are are your thing, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's gotta be tough to to wanna branch out from that. But you know, it's like the it's like the music like the band that all of a sudden released a new album, they go, Well, it doesn't sound like your last album. It's like, Well it's not supposed to. Like (laughs) we're evolving, we're changing. Yeah. But there's so many stories to be told within, you know, within well, and
1: now, now, especially in the last year and a half, like our teams have really been sought after to where, like like now for the Donovan Bailey project, like Bell came to me and said, it's funny because th- there's a good lesson for people that like, I'd been pitching Bell consecutively for five or six years and they'd rejected every project. Not for us, not for us, pass, pass, pass. But had made, obviously, a good enough impression in those pitches that they're like, hey, we're doing a series. Mm-hmm. Called the on Nation, and we want you to produce one of them. Like, so that's one of those great things where maybe the initial goal you're trying to get was unattainable, but if you hand yourself accordingly and professional in trying to achieve those goals, even with the rejection, comes something positive. I've noticed that's
0: the biggest thing is that there's always somebody watching, mm. even when you don't think there is, and even when you you know times are bad and you want to kind of drop your guard or lose your shit or you know slack off, like there just always seems to be someone watching mm-hmm. and sometimes you'll someone will say oh I noticed you did this or I saw you at this at this time and, and I like the way you handled yourself and and I thought I would want to be involved with someone like that and you think back to yourself and you're like I was this close to losing my yeah. shit at that exact moment <laughs> yeah, yeah. and just through serendipity I didn't or just that little extra self control I'm like maybe not to well I mean not
1: me I don't ever lose my shit I'm very calm and controlled <laughs> yeah I have to say that I've, I've never no I'm never being Cat's yeah. view, to see me as a youngster, I was a fucking maniac. I, I told you we're gonna we're gonna the... talk about that in part two, <laughs> but that's a good teaser. Yeah. How many yeah. street fights, conservatively? oh conservatively, like it's a different time, right? So it sounds because people are different that, right? time. <laughs> well, no, because now everybody sues each other. Oh yeah, right? yes. like back when we did, like yeah. no one would ever think of suing, but mm-hmm. you never, you also never curb stomped a guy and shit like that, unless mm-hmm. you got jumped and you're yeah. fighting to survive. Right. But, I think conservatively, I try to add this up with my buddy Vic, who was usually like the Don King of most of them. <laughs> I think it's like 30. Like, Where, in, Where's Vic live? In, in Kelowna. We grew up here. We were like inseparable. We got to get we're, him on round two. With oh, you'd man. love if Vic's a hoot. He's still hilarious. He's <laughs> fucking super funny. I and mean, it would probably be better to almost hear some of those stories from his I've heard all your stories. Yeah, yeah I need it's, to hear it's better from his from perspective. Him. He's a great storyteller. And it's better when somebody. Because it's also, you know, again, not to keep going back to Joe Rogan's part, but he's talked about how. You think you have an idea of how these events went, right? Mm-hmm. Especially like when you're fighting, like when I'm – it's very tunnel vision, right? So you mm-hmm. you remember it kind of one way and then other people will be like, no, no, I was there that night and I'm like – this happened that I'm like really like I'm not sure which one's right right mm-hmm. or they could both be right or both be wrong because yeah. you had a different perspective of how they were right like, well, it's, it's interesting that you grew
0: up you using that perspective I mean everyone does but you had all these like really high octane events that you've seen from that perspective not dissimilar to all the documentaries you've been doing recently <laughs> of people ha- high octane stories happening from their perspective but now we're we're shifting the camera around to the broad spectrum and saying no no let's tell the whole story here yeah. you know yeah so well
1: yeah because even like you're seeing now as we're going through some of these docs like you know, with Fury, like, and how good he—he can't remember every game no. and everything that happened. Things him. wrong. And he and was excited watching the documentary. Like, oh man, I forgot about that. Right? And, yeah. like seeing old footage, <laughs> and like, they, they go through, and you're like, oh, that's how it went down. Hey, and that's a, like, yeah, it's and so yeah. I mean, definitely, when you see when these are huge iconic moments, and even like little things happen that mm-hmm. you know people forget from those iconic moments. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, well, uh, plus life is happening so fast, and there's so much that happens around those. Like, in,
0: in, on a sports team or an athlete, you know, you're you're you've got your perspective, but you don't know necessarily what your agent had to do or your manager or your friend to protect you and to keep you in that zone in that yeah. bubble or other people trying to get at you but uh no it's all because well, like, yeah, everybody
1: wants a piece once you're on the top oh yeah right? that's a great saying it's like you find out who your true friends are when you're at the bottom yeah. right and I had that when I when my dad died and I took over the club and then the business relationship with me and my business partner fell apart and here I am, my wife's a few months away from being pregnant. I have no money. I need 50 grand to finish the union. I'd never been so stressed. I was like, dude, I'd like, I like, I can't even pay for the furniture I have that I got from the brick. And I don't know if I ever paid that. I think that's still in like a credit thing oh, for me. Sorry, <laughs> like, sorry uh, guys. Like, like, you know, uh, like it was just like, oh my God. And then I'd felt like all that time I put in New York, I'm now 26, have a kid uh, on the way. And I have zero money to my name I had more when I was living in New York mm-hmm. uh and like and I have to start from scratch like, and I thought that was sold I'm like dude like most people 26 of their careers going on I'm like holy fuck I'm a failure and you know I, I wouldn't want to go through it again but like all the trials I went through like getting the union out there and 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 battling through that you know the bad business deal I'd made with my my dad's club and everything mm-hmm. it it definitely sharpened me to be the producer now where it's like mm-hmm. things roll off me now where I'm like Oh, i don't have the gap for that i'll find it <laughs> i don't have this i'll find it there's four other distributors we can go to like it yeah it's like you know and then yeah so it's uh well man pressure
0: builds diamonds and you sir are certainly a gem and <laughs> oh, I, I don't know pre- that but thank i appreciate you. everything you do and um that was an hour we yeah. should wrap this up i know you got to get uh, riley to
1: hockey camp yeah, yeah hockey camp number nine of the summer yeah, she's crazy like she's crazy um so, that's her choice not parents pushing that's her choice she's crazy one thing i like to ask
0: some guests is you know what um what would they like the audience to to know or, or what can you what would you like to drive them to are there any you know our social media i don't want to plug my own thing particularly well, I mean, yeah if you
1: you guys want to follow me on social media i'm adam score g that's like my score like a goal with a big g is my handle on twitter you can find me on Facebook, but I'm almost like maxed out on there, I think. I was one of the original guys on Facebook. <laughs> you got to turn into a fan page. Yeah, yeah I did that, more. but I, that's so like... Uh, <laughs> I, I use it to promote, right? So yeah. I, I went out and friend requested before they used to put caps on it, like, and just built mine up to the max right away. Yeah, um, uh, yeah and then uh, obviously Instagram, it's just score G2, like at, like not spelled like my name, but how my name's pronounced, like score Uh, with a G like uh, score a goal with a G Um, yeah you can follow me on there and if I'm going to leave people something is that you know when I when I say go after it and go after your goals and I use myself an example of why you can do that I do that because I was the guy that was told in high school that you're going to be in jail or you're a failure consistently because I did not connect with like the school curriculum and the other thing like I was aggressive I didn't learn well from reading off of a chalkboard and stuff like that I was a visual learner which with docs works great for me people now are like Adam you're so passionate about your docs and you can speak about them and articulate them so well like whether it's Donovan Bailey or it's Grant or whoever I'm like because when I'm listening to the interviews or I'm, I'm an audio I absorb that and then I can and I, I say this in a way to inspire people like if I can do it you really can because mm-hmm. like I'm a guy that cheated in the in the math 10A classes and still barely passed And now I teach people how to do financing for films because that math made sense to me. Mixing algebra and letters did not matter. So if a guy like me, if a donkey like me can figure it out, (laughs) we're now, you can literally Google, how do I make a professional resume? How do I get into the film world? Like Mm -hmm. that wasn't available when I first started. You can do whatever you're, you really have to, you know, I said this at a a, a film thing I did where they wanted me to speak and a guy's like, but man, you know, how do you have the time to like create and develop these shows and get them into production? Like I'm busy and my family and I'm still working two jobs. I'm like, dude, I hear you. I was like, I was working three jobs with two kids and any spare time I'd literally look at my schedule for the week and be like, okay, my kid's going to sleep here or I have downtime here and I'd look at my four to five or six hours that I had and instead of going out for beers with the boys or playing on that hockey team or doing that extracurricular thing that everybody always seems to have no time, but then they have time, right? Mm-hmm. Where, And whatever it is that we, if it's our dream to go do this, why do we put these other things in front of us? Yeah, priorities. The war of art talks about resistance preventing you to do that, yeah. right? I was able to do that. Like I looked at like as much as I love my friends, it's more important for me to research for those two hours and how to put together a film resume and what distributors I should sell to and how do I do a professional pitch package and how do I do these things. Monitor your time. Having all those pressures of kids and everything else, I found it only motivated me more because to me, not making it in the film industry and being a failure was not a fucking option. So I would just look at my week and I'd hone in those things and do that. So you can do it. Just push the resistance out and don't, don't let it block you're not trying to have a cheesy like go do it ending but uh, I you think can. I'm gonna go do it let's go do it everyone <laughs> Scorch I appreciate it man oh thanks for having me on it's about time I was kind of getting jealous there for a while all these other people I'm like fucking guy doesn't talk to me I don't shut up Come around on. episode
0: 25 I think he goes he goes when i uh, i don't you know i'm not that i'm
1: put off or anything <laughs> but i just thought
0: like you might want to ask me to be on your podcast <laughs> so i'm like no worry, i'm
1: saving you for a special i'm thing. seeing all these great guests i'm like i think i fit in that mix <laughs> <laughs> all right man until round 2 talk all to right, you later man.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, really appreciate you guys. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention and congratulate Adam on uh, is the documentary that he and I are both working on, um, Making Coco, The Grant Fear Story, was just announced today as the closing night gala film for the Calgary International Film Festival. So if you live in Calgary or you live nearby and you're really interested in seeing it on September 29th, go check out calgaryfilm.com and get your tickets because they are limited. Uh, Last thing that I want to say is there are a ton of great podcasts being produced here in Alberta. uh, And if you're interested in looking to find some more and some new listening, go check out albertapodcastnetwork.com. We'll see you all next week.